Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for our sermon is recorded in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day by setting it apart as holy. Six days you are to serve and do all your regular work, but the seventh day shall be a Sabbath rest to the Lord your God. Do not do any regular work. Neither you, nor your sons or daughters, nor your male or female servants, nor your cattle, nor the alien who is residing inside your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. In this way the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy. This is the word of our Lord. When Martin Luther wrote his explanation for the commandment, Thou shalt remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, He said, we should fear and love God that we do not despise preaching or his word, but gladly hear, learn and obey it. Do you notice he didn't say we should fear and love God so that we don't work on Sunday and you'd better be in church on Sunday. (laughs) Now, Calvin, who came along, had a different view of things. And some of his followers came to the conclusion that Sunday was simply the Sabbath day, which was Saturday, moved 24 hours. The Puritans who came to America were this way. You could not cook a meal on Sunday because it was the new Sabbath. Well, who's right? Martin Luther would point out that the Ten Commandments, the moral law, is meant for all people of all times, but some of the specific wording that was given was meant for the people of Israel. Listen to Exodus chapter 20 verses 1 through 2. Right before God gives the Ten Commandments in the form they came to the Israelites. Then God spoke all these words. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt where you were slaves. He's talking to the Israelites. So, for example, the commandment that says honor your mother and father is meant for all people of all time, but the original blessing on that, that it may go well with you and you may live long upon the land that the Lord's giving you, that's not meant for you and I. We live here in America. That was meant for the Israelites. And the form that God gave on the Sabbath day was meant for the Israelites that they were not to work But Martin Luther understood they were to be in the word of God as well. And so Colossians chapter 2 verses 16 through 17 is one of the proof passages that tells us there's no ceremonial laws in the New Testament. A ceremonial law would be things like what color robe the pastor wears, what time you have church, how you dress for church, and specific ways. We're told in Colossians 2 verses 16 through 17... Therefore, do not let anyone judge you in regard to food or drink or in regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were coming, but the body belongs to Christ. So there's something there in that commandment. Remember the Sabbath day by setting it apart as holy that applies to all men of all times. But we know there's a lot of it also that pointed to Christ. And so Sunday did not merely just replace Saturday 24 hours in advance that you're not allowed to do any work and and you have to rest on this day. Otherwise, we'd be in trouble because of the time we meet, right? We've agreed to meet at three in the afternoon. And so today we'll ask the question, how does this commandment apply to us? 
Now, to answer that question, let's take a look at the law. Because most people don't realize that each commandment flows into the one that follows it. So the very first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods, tells us who's to have first place in our heart. In fact, Martin Luther, in his large catechism, says of the first commandment, whatever you look to as the source of all your good, that is your God. So if we're busy chasing after money, and I've heard people say that, if I could only win the lottery, then my life would be good. Guess what is their God, whether they realize it or not? People make their spouse their God. This is the source of all my good. Or by simply giving it the same place in their heart that belongs to God. So the first commandment tells us, Triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is the only God to be worshipped, and that happens by giving Him first place in our heart. And let us not forget, the greatest act of worship we give to God is when we trust in Him for all of our salvation. Trusting the Father planned it, the Son won it, earned it, if you will, and the Holy Spirit made it yours by giving you faith as God the Father planned. Now, in the list of commandments, the next one is that don't make any graven idols, don't carve out any idols and worship them. And if we were Israelites living back then, we'd be in trouble for pictures of the empty cross, we'd be in trouble for pictures of Jesus. They couldn't even put up a picture of the burning bush. For you and I, that's fine, because that was meant, remember, they were very much going to suffer under the temptation of people who worshipped Baal and Moloch and made idols, and they would fall into that. For you and I, it's fine until we take that painting of Jesus and pray to it as if that is Jesus, right? So those two commandments really are just the one. God is to have first place and worship in your heart, and then they flow into the next one. Do not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Now, when I was younger, I used to think what that meant was when you're hammering and nailing and you slip and hit your thumb, you don't say the G-D word. And then I figured because you couldn't say the G-D word, that would also cover any other curse words. And this isn't a sermon on curse words. Certainly we don't want to say G-D, but there's so much more to this commandment than that. See, God's name tells you everything God does for you. As I've already mentioned, the Father planned your salvation. He provides for you. The Son earned your salvation. He gives salvation to you. The Holy Spirit makes you holy by giving you the faith so that you have the salvation. To not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain means you look at the names of God which reveal everything God does for you and you trust in Him. So, the first commandment tells us who to worship the second commandment tells us how and why to worship. God has made you, he has saved you, and you worship him by calling upon his name. Again, the greatest act of worship we give is when we trust in him for salvation. Now we get to the commandment, remember the Sabbath day by setting it apart as holy. Really, what that's telling you is take time to worship God. Now that comes in different forms. When you take two minutes out of your day to read meditations or devotions, to say a prayer, to thank the Lord around the dinner table, you are taking time to worship God. 
And of course, when you gather together, as Jesus says, wherever two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. You are taking time to worship God. And we're going to get into how God benefits you. You're the one who actually benefits the most out of taking that time. And so we've asked the question, how does this commandment apply to us today? And it applies to us today the way it's applied to all people of all time since God created Adam and Eve. It's about worship, taking time to worship God because of everything he does for you. And he only does good for you. Now, let's get into some of those specifics as we get into the second half of our sermon. In verse 11 of our text at Exodus chapter 20, we're told, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. In this way, the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Now, God's all powerful. God didn't need to take a rest. It wasn't like God said, man, that sixth day I made the man. I had him name all the animals just so he'd appreciate what I was about to give him in that corresponding helper. And then after all that, here we are. I am tired. I need a snooze. God is all powerful. God did not need to take a rest. God did this to set an example for you and I. If you think that God did not make your body to need a rest, if you think that God does not want you to take rest, then simply stay awake for 24 hours and see how well you're doing at the 24th hour. God built your body to sleep. And in the process, God doesn't want you working seven days a week. He wants you to take a physical rest, a spiritual rest, and a mental rest. And he set that up for Israel by saying, uh-uh, you got, you got to eat leftovers on the Sabbath day. You are not allowed to work because he wanted the people to rest. And we find out, for example, from the great physician, the healer of souls, Jesus Christ, that that didn't mean that you couldn't do CPR to somebody on Sunday because you were busy resting. Or as the Pharisees thought, if your sheep fell into a mud hole, you couldn't lift it out. But as a technicality, you could take off your belt, wrap it around the sheep and walk out of the mud hole. And if it happened to end out, that wasn't working. That's missing the whole point. And in fact, not only did our triune God rest when he made the heavens and the earth, but when he took on human flesh, Jesus Christ, who was not making full use of all of the powers of his godhood, who allowed himself to suffer the weaknesses of a human flesh as a baby, he needed to be nursed by his mother. He had to go through the birthing canal. He had to sleep. In fact, we find him asleep in a boat when the disciples are being beat up by a storm and they're waking up going, Lord, help us. How can you sleep through this? When he fed the 5,000, remember that just counted the men, right? Out of that boy's lunch. He withdrew from the crowds, not just from the crowds, but even from the disciples to pray to his father and give himself spiritual rest. Jesus, usually on the Sabbath, was found in the synagogues teaching, I'm the Messiah, the one who was prophesied in the Old Testament. But we even find our Lord during his state of humiliation, taking time to physically rest, mentally rest, and yes, spiritually rest. And so it is in our gospel lesson, he tells us, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29. A yoke pairs you together, two animals to plow, right? But you're connected to Christ as a branch is to the vine. He's done all the work for your salvation. He privileges you with getting to come to the word and edify yourself in the word and share the word with friends and family to comfort each other. How can I drive every week to Buffalo, putting nearly four hours driving time in after having already worked Sunday morning at my church? Well, you guys remove the burden. You're a joy to serve. You're grateful to hear the word of God. And when you have the privilege to serve each other in neighbors, you see that as well. It's, you're either a slave to the devil and his burden is going to lead you to hell as he has you chase after things of this world that will never satisfy. Or you're yoked to Christ who makes you God's child, who pumps you full of the forgiveness of sins. And so Christ gives us a rest. And the greatest rest we need was seen in our epistle lesson in Romans chapter 7, where none less than the Apostle Paul says, What a rotten sinner I am. I want to do good and I can't. The sinful nature's right there. He kicks me and he punches and he bites and he won't. I try to drown him, but he keeps kicking me and punching me in the kidneys. I want to do good and I end up sinning. See, you would not even be fighting against that sinful nature if Christ had not given you the new man. And it is amazing how you get a rest even during that battle. And I got to say, while you're hearing the word, your sinful nature is still right there trying to slug away at you, not wanting you to listen to the word. But you get a break when you come to the word of God and God assures you of the forgiveness of sins. He refreshes your soul. And not only does he want you to be able to hear that your sins are forgiven and that you're his child and you're connected to Christ, he wants you to read it. And you're blessed. He made sure you, specifically you, have lived in an age where we have far surpassed the technology of the printing press. You can gather up. I have several devotions I do every day right on my computer. Bam, read that one. Bam, I don't even have to reach over to the bookshelf. We're spoiled like that. And, and that's a blessing. That helps us, that feeds us. But God doesn't just want you to hear and read. He wanted you to taste it. And so he has given us the Lord's Supper where we get to eat forgiveness. We get to taste and see that the Lord is good. And he gives us that rest. And how wonderful it is because that sinful nature, he's tricky. First he tells you, oh, just do this. Nobody's looking. It's no big deal. And then, you know, you struggle with this and you go, no, no. The new man says, no, that's not what I want to do. But then you trip and you do. And you know what that sinful nature does? How could you? What a rotten sinner you are. God could never forgive you. And God comes to you with his word and his sacraments and he says, your sinful nature's lying. I have forgiven you. And he lifts you up with his word and strengthens you again. And you know, when you win the battle, when the sinful nature's fighting away and your new man grabs him by the throat and throws him up against the wall and says, no, not today. God says, well done, good and faithful servant. You couldn't have done that without the nourishment that his word, that his gospel gives us. There's another kind of rest that God gives you. When I do 
pre-marriage counseling for couples before they get married, I especially tell him, because this is something I've learned the hard way. Men tend to have this attitude when they go into a marriage. The day that we get married, I'm taking an oath that I love you, and if anything changes, I'll let you know, and that's the condition. Now, if a man thinks he's going to be married for 30 to 60 years and never tell his wife again he loves her, he's in for a pretty miserable marriage, and I feel sorry for that woman. And women like to hear they love you. Men like to hear, I love you. And in fact, men also like to be encouraged. So it's not like either one of us can be quiet. Well, you are the bride of Christ. And one of the ways that God gives you rest, when you come to his word, yes, the word exposes our sin, but it also strengthens and nourishes us. It's like God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is wrapping his arm around you and saying, I love you. It's amazing how much I will do for my family just knowing my one simple reward is, I love you. And it's the same for you. God gives you rest because in his word, not only does he do all the work, not only does he nourish and provide for you, he says that great, I love you. Now, we want to tie that back in with the age we live in today. I have had the privilege of serving people who grew up, you know, had to harvest, try to harvest crops in the dirty 30s with the stock market crash. And then uh, they had to end up going to fight the war in, in Germany and in Japan. And I look at their lives and they had it rough. But they don't know what rough is compared to me. I mean, I got four cars and I got to pay insurance on them. They don't understand. I got a computer that does everything, but it crashes sometimes. I got to, you know, my, they, they had to walk to school often walking a couple of miles. I got to get those kids to the bus stop on a cold winter day. We are one of the most stressed out generations in human history. One of the blessings that's come out of the COVID virus, people who live in the big cities and commute for an hour every day, bumper to bumper, rush hour traffic, when suddenly their jobs were moved to a computer at home, they start to scratch their heads and say, why do I feel so much more at peace? And they're starting to say, I don't want to go back to that life. But you know, the greatest cure for our anxiety and stress is God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit saying, I made this creation and I'm in control. When we worry, what if I lose my job? What if I lose my health? God says, whoa, 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 whoa. I've got you. And if I choose to put the cross of ill health on you, I will make sure that there's a roof over your head, food in your stomach and clothes on your back, right up until the time that I call you to heaven. This is a cure for workaholism. This is a cure for the lazy. And this is a cure for anxiety. God covers it all. He gives us physical rest by providing for us. And he wants us to take time to rest our bodies. He gives us mental rest. There are times we just need a break from the hustle and the anxiety of the world. And he gives us spiritual rest by nourishing us with the word. Now, I want to say one more thing. A dear sister in Christ received eternal glory this week. We can be sad because we'll miss her. I'll miss looking over in Bible study and seeing her smile. But you know, there is a tremendous joy in knowing she has the ultimate rest. She'll never have to fight with the sinful nature, suffer the hardships of this world again. She is happy because God has now fulfilled every promise to her but one. 
And that's to give her the glorified body when he comes back to give her and all of us the new heavens and the new earth. So let us not forget God has won for us an eternal rest in which we will be eternally at peace. So how does this commandment apply to us? It has always been about worship. In Christ, we have the freedom to pick the day, the time and everything. But we also see that in that worship, that it's also about God giving us rest, physical, spiritual, and mental. And so when Martin Luther gave his explanation to the third commandment, he was very wise in not saying, you have to meet on Sunday at 10.15 a.m. or at 3 p.m. He was very wise in recognizing what was the gist of this commandment. We should fear and love God that we do not despise preaching or his word, but gladly hear, learn, and obey it. Because it is there that God creates, strengthens, and nourishes your faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. And now the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let us confess our faith using the words of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became fully human. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who in unity with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church, we acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God and Father, we praise you for the countless blessings which we receive from your hand, the beauties of creation and the bounties of the earth, the joy of life and the pleasure of friendship, the good of work and the gift of rest, the privilege to share happiness and sorrow with one another. Above all, we praise and thank you for your saving word and for your son's body and blood, which you give us to eat and drink in the sacrament. Through these means of grace, you send the Holy Spirit into our hearts and unite us to Jesus and to the whole Christian church on earth. Strengthen us through this heavenly food. Increase our trust in Christ and our love for one another. Great God and Lord, without your continuing help, we easily waver in our faith, lose courage, and grow careless in our watchfulness. The times and days are perilous. Give us strength to face the evils of each day with fresh confidence. 
Open our lips to speak of your grace and move us to use the gifts that you give us to share your word of salvation with all people. Protect and prosper the family, the school, the government, and all good institutions that you have established for the benefit of society. Remember and mercy those who are sick and suffering and bring your healing to troubled homes and lives. Move us to pray for those in need and to help them with deeds of kindness. Gracious Lord, we ask you to use us to proclaim rest to those who are weary in this decaying world of sin, that they may be made members of your kingdom. Hear us, Lord, as we bring you our private petitions. Now, eternal God and Father, keep us in the saving faith and so enable us to overcome all things through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. 